hurts too much to like remember how it used to make us so happy. Loss is just part of life and that's a really hard thing to to wrap your head around, I think for everybody. And Hey dancers, welcome to the show. I'm Julie and I'm your host today on this episode of Broche Banter. I both own and teach at Broche Ballet, a virtual ballet school just for adults. Join us as we explore all things adult ballet. Today on the show, I interview Cody, one of the dancers who danced with us in our Denver studios. We talk about how ballet calms her mind, a little about her hypermobility and her experience with perfect turnout. But then we get real about quarantine and the effect it's had on us all and how sometimes dancing at home is just a sad reminder of how much we miss our friends and our old life. If you've been struggling with this time, we hope Cody's words help you find peace. Enjoy. If you're enjoying these stories of the wonderful adult dancers in our community, please help us keep the podcast going by nominating a friend to be on the show. Send us an email at hello at brocheballet.com to let us know who we should invite on the show next. Before we get to the show, let's get to our new segment, Broche Bites, where we talk about bite-sized ballet tidbits to give you something to chew on while you listen. For today's Broche Bite, we are going to describe a move called first port de bras. Now, port de bras is three words, P-O-R-T space D-E space B-R-A-S. Literally, this means carriage of the arms. Now, there are specific positions of the arms, and then there are specific movements where we move the arms through specific positions. First, port de bras is when we take our arms from our low fifth preparatory or on ba position. Those are three different words for that same position. Preparatory, low fifth, or on ba. That last one is spelled E-N space B-A-H. We take it from our low fifth up through first position or fifth position on avant. Those are two words for the same position. That's when your fingers are right in front of your rib cage between your belly button and your ribs. First position or fifth on avant. Then we open the arms to a la seconde, or second position, where the arms are open to the side on the side of your body. Then we bring them back down to that low fifth, preparatory, or on ba position. All three of those movements together makes up first port de bras. I like to think of it in simple terms as down, up, open, down, up, open, down, up, open. And together, all three of those movements again make first port de bras. Thanks for listening to our Broche Bite. Now onto the conversation with Cody. Well, Cody, welcome to Broche Banter. I'm so excited to have you on the show this week to talk about your story with ballet. Thank you. I'm super excited to to share this story too. I hope it'll be interesting. (laughs) It always is. Everyone's life story is different and everyone's got something interesting to say. So you have been you danced with us when we were open in Denver um, for quite some time. I think you joined maybe when we only had the small studio mm-hmm. um, for the first time. Uh, does that sound about right? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was, yeah, when, when I was first going to Broche, it was in the Metlo Center. So I, I don't know that there was any other studio to go to. <laughs> I think that sounds about right. How funny. And so, but you had been dancing before then. So what, when did it start? Yeah, good question. So um, 
way, way back when I took ballet as a kid, um, like so many of us do, <laughs> who are adult learners now, um, but primarily as a social thing. So it was something um, that I was really lucky to have the opportunity to do, but I did it because my friends were doing it. Um, and I was probably, yeah, I was like okay. eight or nine years old. Okay. Um, and it was fun. It was just for a couple of years, but it wasn't um, anything that I was like terribly serious about. I had other things that I was interested in, but it happened to be a thing that my friends were doing <laughs> and that I had the um, ability and opportunity to do. So I did it. Um, but I moved actually um, away from the city when I was 10 or 11 years old um, and didn't pick it back up after, mm. after I moved. So um, I actually didn't pick it back up again until I was about 24. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> yeah. <a long> break. <laughs> exactly. So I went from being not serious about it at all to throwing myself into it at 24 because I was in an extremely rigorous academic program um, out of state, far away from any family or friends. And I'd realized at that point uh, my brain works way, way better when I'm getting like very intensive kind of like meditative exercise mm -hmm. <laughs> every day. <laughs> um, and I had started climbing, like rock climbing pretty much mm -hmm. every day at that point, um, just to like keep my head on straight. And a friend happened to show me that like take me to church, Sergei Polonin, like choreography mm -hmm. video. And I was like, oh, hang on. <laughs> I remember this. I remember liking this. That looks really fun. I want to do specifically that. <laughs> um, and I was in Boston at the time and I was lucky enough to find a studio actually kind of like Broche that has like an only above 18, no scary pre-professional teenagers rule. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> I picked it back up, um, having forgotten absolutely everything that I'd ever learned about dance, yep. <laughs> um, and kind of fell back in love with it, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. um, started going a couple times a week, and found that it did exactly the same thing for my brain as, as rock climbing does, which is that it shuts off all of the parts of my brain that are not associated with exactly the activity that I'm doing. <laughs> like, you can't think about work and life and school and whatever while you're doing this kind of thing. With climbing, you'll just fall and that's sad. Um, and with ballet, like your body just doesn't, it won't work the way that you need it to work <laughs> if you're thinking about other things. Right. Um, yeah, so I kept that up for probably, actually close to a year while I was in Boston and then moved again um, and struggled to find a studio in Houston that had the same kind of vibe. I took a couple of classes at Houston Ballet because they have like an adult open program and, you know, therein encountered all of the scary pre-professional teenagers again. Yeah. <laughs> and it was wonderful, but it's also like a little bit demoralizing to go in as like a 25, 26 year old um, and take class with children who want to do this professionally. Um, yeah. Which is why I appreciate studios like Broche so much, because like it takes the fear out of it a little bit. Um, and then ended up in Denver um, a little less than a year after that and found Broche right away. <laughs> you moved a lot during that period of time. Was that all for work? Was that for personal interest? Um, what, what, what had you moving around so much? Work and school, mostly. Yeah. Um, I have a tendency to apply for things kind of off the cuff and then get accepted for them and then be surprised by that. <laughs> and then you're like, well, now I have to pick what to do. 
Right, exactly. Like, oh, now I have to choose whether or not I want to move across the country again. And typically the answer is yes. So <laughs> it's a lot of um, upheaval, but it's been kind of nice. Um, so you danced with us at Broche for a while and you got on point with us and um, we had lots and lots of fun together. Uh, we, you and I have had many, many deep technical conversations. So your, um, your body is very, very hypermobile, right? You have... <laughs> Um, amazing, uh, basically perfect turnout somewhat naturally in terms of your, your, your hip positions and mm-hmm. all of that. And, um, but that has caused so many interesting things that we've had to work through together. Um, what, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, my body is made out of spaghetti, basically, <laughs> is the immediate thought. And um, what I didn't realize actually until I came to Broche was that I had done probably some damage to myself by not realizing that I had this hypermobility issue because it was always a fun, like, party trick for me. <laughs> like, ooh, I can turn my feet backwards and walk like that. Like, creepy, gross, cool. I'm going to show everybody. <laughs> um, or, you know, when I was taking classes in Boston and Houston, it was always like, oh, cool, this is a thing that I can do with very little, like, muscle involvement. Yeah. Um, my joints just turn that far without me having to, like, activate any muscles and so I would do that and as it turns out if you if you do that it's really really hard on your joints <laughs> even if they do it automatically right so basically your feet just like flop out into turned out positions. Who knew? right yeah exactly right exactly um and so because I am just able to do that without any training or any you know strengthening or technique really at all. (laughs) Um, When I start to apply that in ballet, um, it's, it it causes like physical issues for me, basically. Um, And it's causes, it's caused me, I think, to like wear down my joints a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that until you actually kind of like called me out on it. (laughs) Like, oh, you're not engaging any muscles at all. Like, why? What are okay. you doing? <laughs> How did you get like this without engaging muscles? This is right, and I have no idea because right. this is what my body has done since I was like a child. Right. Um, but it's been a process of kind of retraining my body to do these things correctly. Um, because I've never had, I, I haven't ever known how to feel for that muscle engagement. I've never really used it. And so I'd say probably over the past, I guess almost a year now, um, I've had to do a lot of like relearning how to actually turn out using the correct muscle groups and how to, you know, support myself when um, really doing any kind of ballet exercise at all, like correctly (laughs) in my hips and in my legs. Um, Just because I I have a range of motion, I think that's a little uh, weird. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, it, it can be damaging for me to just like do what my body can already do. Right. Yeah. If you, <laughs> it's like, um, and I think one of the ways that we bonded over this was that my ankles have a similar problem where my ankles <laughs> just are extremely hypermobile and they can flop into this very extended position. And throughout my training, teachers are like, Ooh, pretty. And I'm like, cool. Yay. I'm not <laughs> sure how this is happening and why more. Be doing this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you just keep doing more of it and you don't realize that there's a way to do it. Um, with muscles because the bones, mm-hmm. the bones actually will make the position just with the bones and the muscles are, do not need to be involved in order to make that position. Whereas other people exactly. in your case will have to 
fuse muscles to get their feet to turn, your bone, your feet will just turn by themselves. Um, and so I remember the first time I asked you to actually use your muscles, your feet turned backwards. And I was like, okay, hmm, so not that. Um, <laughs> Right, because your natural range stopped at basically 180, and I asked you to engage your muscles, and your feet turned backwards, and I was like, hmm, (laughs) let's go another approach. So then I think we ended up just putting you in your natural turnout and then getting the muscles to engage after the fact, or like sort of use them to hold the position, not to get to the position. Right, and that was so weird, like... I had no idea how to do what you were asking me to do because like, I've, I don't know that I've ever really used those muscles for that in my whole life. Right. <laughs> like, that's not what those are for. No, it turns out that that's definitely what they're for. Um, but the process of learning how to feel that and feeling it in other positions too has been so weird. Right. Like, so bizarre. I've never had any sense of like what that's supposed to look like or feel like. Right. Um, and, and you and I also have talked a lot about our garbage bag theory, which yes. is, <laughs> um, so basically hypermobile people, um, of which you are very, very hypermobile, hypermobile people tend to have lower proprioception, which is your brain's mm-hmm. ability to know where your body is in space, right? And so the two of us, and I'm sure other people will relate to this, feel in our own bodies extremely uncoordinated and floppy. Um, and sort of don't have this proprioception. Um, Do you want to pick up where I left off? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so functionally, I am a garbage bag full of body parts, and I don't know where my legs are at any given point, Um, specifically when turning, um, which is hilarious. Like, the moment that I'm not just, like, standing straight up and down, I lose all sense of, like, where I am in space. (laughs) Totally. It's like, whereas you picture a normal person having a visual map of their body, and a visual map would have the head on the top and the arms on the side and the mm-hmm. body in the middle and the legs down the side, down the bottom. We might, we both sort of picture our own body as like a grab bag of parts, right? There's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's, oh, there's a leg. And then we're trying to like reassemble it into like a body um, right. feeling. And then when you go to turn, right, which already messes with your proprioception because you can't mm-hmm. see anything, your body just feels discombobulated. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's too funny. I, that was the most, like, I think apt <laughs> comparison that, that I'd ever heard the first time that you said it. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just reaching blindly into a bag and hoping that I get the right body part. When you're like, oh, yeah, no, engage your psoas or, you know, pull up in your hip. I'm like, what hip? Where? Where is it? It's gone. Right. You kind of feel upside down sometimes or like, mm-hmm. yeah, backwards. Um, it's very odd being, being in that, being in those shoes. I remember being a beginner dancer and seeing other people able to turn very, some people turn much easier than me. And I'm like, I'm not sure how this is happening. This is, this is really, really complicated to, to turn. And Mm -hmm. perhaps it's that similar, like (laughs) your first thing you said was that you are, you are spaghetti noodles or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Just a big pile of noodles, unfortunately. Um, and all of them are in a garbage bag, but, um, Yeah, I remember overhearing, I don't remember if it was you or another instructor, but um, somebody giving instructions to just like stop thinking about it and just, just do it just uh, to someone else. (laughs) This was for somebody else, but to just like turn and stop, stop thinking so hard about it. Um, and just to see yourself as one like whole piece that's turning. And I was like, I don't even understand what that would, would be. <laughs> right. I'm sure that wasn't me because for me, I have also a garbage bag of body yeah. parts. <laughs> so to the idea of turning in one piece is, is really, really hard. Not a thing. Yes. <laughs> right. Oh, too funny. 
Um, so to change the topic a little bit, as we <laughs> as we are in this crazy time of 2020 in August of 2020, we have all been at home for many, many months. And I haven't seen mm -hmm. you in person in the studio since maybe the beginning of March, um, which has been many, many months. Um, but I know quarantine's been really tough for you. So talk to me about what's going on with, with ballet and quarantine and, and life. Yeah. So I'm, I consider myself very, very lucky and I'm very grateful to be in a situation where over the course of quarantine, I haven't had to worry about losing a job. I haven't had to worry about being able to pay rent or like keep myself functional or anything like that. Um, so I want to start off by saying that, <laughs> um, like I'm, I'm in a position that not everybody is in. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very grateful for that. However, um, I have been in kind of an interesting housing position that other people may have been in too, in that, you know, it's difficult to, in many cases, find space in a small apartment or a small home to take online courses. Um, and I've actually moved over the course of quarantine, <laughs> but um, initially it just wasn't something that could happen. The only space that I had um, was my bedroom, which was very small to start with. Um, and I had um, the roommate situation that I had wasn't an issue with it. It's just that it, it often got pretty loud in the apartment. And so it was hard to kind of create a space where I could actually take class and get something out of it. Um, and that continued to be true throughout quarantine. <laughs> um, and I kept finding what felt like excuses to not take class. Like um, the space wasn't right or it was too loud or um, I couldn't you know, find something to use as a bar. And the more, I've, I've kind of been thinking about this a lot lately. <laughs> um, the more that I made these excuses for myself, especially about like my physical space and location, the more I started to realize that it actually had way more to do with like mental space and setting mm -hmm. <laughs> than anything else. Yeah. Um, and that specifically for me, Zoom and WebEx are tools that I associate with work. Mm -hmm. um, and over the last several months, I have not been able to dissociate them from work <laughs> because they continue to be things that I use three or four times a week um, for project team meetings and for just like general kind of work stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for me to use those as a social tool or as like a hobby, like ballet related tool without bringing in all of the feelings that I have about work all the time. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think what kind of made me realize that that was the issue for me more so than like the physical setting issue was that like, at work, you know, especially in, in online meetings when you don't have that face-to-face -face interaction, um, I think if you present something incorrectly or you're misunderstood, you often get a sense of kind of like embarrassment or guilt or shame or whatever. And that is a feeling that I've never ever had in a ballet class. Usually mm -hmm. I'm, I think I'm pretty curious and resilient when it comes to like messing things up. <laughs> Where I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like my leg just doesn't do that. I wonder why. <laughs> Let's figure that out. <laughs> or, yeah. You know, why is why is everybody able to tire except for me? Um, like it can be frustrating, but it's never something that I feel like embarrassed about or guilty about or anything. It's it's a point of curiosity for me. Um, and I realized that in taking online classes, I actually was feeling like embarrassed about 
the things that I couldn't do right and the amount of space that I had and why it wasn't working for me. And that I think is just like an emotional kind of bleed over from emotions that I have about work Mm -hmm. rather than ballet. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that makes sense or if that's a generalizable experience, but um, I think that's really what's made it hard is Mm -hmm. the connection that I already had with these tools and with like work work. Right. Well, and you mentioned in the beginning that a really big important part of you, of you, um, for you of ballet and physical movement was that you could have a turn, turn off all of that chatter in your mind and that it was really critical for you to be able to shut that portion of your, of your experiences off. Right. So if you're having, even Mm -hmm. if the experiences aren't extraordinarily negative, they need to be quieted down. I mean, that you, you need a moment away from them. Right. And, and yes an all in an all encompassing escape. Um, so is it sort of like you're looking at a screen and it looks the same format as what you looked at all day and you're like, there's someone looking at me that other people are looking at me um, and I didn't do it correctly. And like that just brings all of that in with you. Yeah, I think it's, it's more internal. Like I'm, I'm not worried about being watched by people. I'm not, there's no concern about that for me. It's, it's more just like, you know, when I mess something up, at work, I feel bad about it. When I mess something up in ballet, I generally don't feel bad about it. I'm just like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> like, let's do better on that next time. <laughs> yeah, right. And that like feeling of badness was was really starting to bleed in. And because, like you said, actually, yeah, because I associate these with work, it's really hard for me to like shut all of those parts of my brain off that have to do with work and life and all of that. Yeah. Um, when using these type of tools, even though it's an activity that I love and that normally very much does that for me automatically. Yeah. Um, I think during quarantine, a quote that's been with me is the idea of wherever you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's been, I never understood that quote really until this period of time where I realized how much I always needed to be able to escape from my own mind and how much I relied on external things to be able to shut my mind off and actually how difficult that was to do without these external cues, without yes. changing your clothes and driving to a studio and having a separate space. And like, that's a learned, I mean, that's a learned skill, like everything else is to actually like, I mean, man, this thing up here, this mind up here, it can go wild if you're not careful with it. It can go wild. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing how that association is so strong in our minds between the things we're looking at and the sensations that we feel. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good wake up call to remember that like that ability to shut things off at the end of the day kind of needs to come from inside yourself (laughs) like all of these not to get kind of existential about it but like all of these external things are in so many cases temporary Mm -hmm. um like you you only have your own physical ability for so long and you only have um places like all of these places that we go to kind of detach from everything that stresses us out, um, you know, we may only have access to them for, for a specific period of time and hopefully not, but like, that's kind of how life is. And so if you can do that for yourself, that is so much more helpful. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would even read, you know, things from, people who had been imprisoned and still did mm-hmm. amazing things. Like, I mean, that's right. kind of a dramatic comparison, but you're like, if Gandhi can figure out how to shut his mind off and escape all of that and figure out how to do this when he has no change of scenery ever, right? literally ever, and can 
and can create that compartmentalization. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating skill, really, to think mm-hmm. about. It's that true. You can be in the same environment for you for years and still <laughs> create two different locations in your mind. Right. Hopefully that never comes to pass for any of us, but yes. Yeah, but this feels like it in many ways. Right, feels endless. Yeah, it feels endless in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your I think your um, your revelation is fascinating about the space in your mind where you you know you're talking about how the space, the physical space of looking at the same visuals. Mm-hmm. is what is creating a space in your mind. That's, I'm still kind of mulling that over a little bit. Yeah. A fascinating thought that if you're looking at Zoom with a little yellow light-up box and the little name down in the corner and like the whole interface mm-hmm. of the whole thing, um, how that changes your experience is fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, it's funny. I got to go back to the studio. I went to Jessica's studio um, oh. for the first time, though, since March um, yesterday. Oh, exciting. And Yay. it was such... I, I had kind of almost in my head this feeling like, oh, no, this is going to be like online classes. Like something is going to have like messed my brain up. <laughs> I'm going to have that same feeling. But like, no, it was just weird and goofy and fun yeah. um, in the way that ballet normally is for me. Um, but it's also that's a hard thing to realize because I would love to get as much out of online classes as I get out of in-person classes. And I hope that that's a point that I can get to because like what a great tool, like what, <laughs> what an awesome thing to be able to do right. um, and to do from anywhere. Like this opens doors for so many people who haven't had access to online classes in forever. Um, but it, it did kind of hammer in like, oh no, shoot, there's, <laughs> for, for me at least, like there's a hard difference between these two things. Right. Um, and it's a, something that I get to work on now moving forward is kind of bridging the gap. And I think it's, um, I, you know, I obviously having had to transition to online only for our own studio, spend a lot of time thinking about what the dancers are going through and what mm-hmm. the experience is like um, for people like you and people in different situations and people with kids and people with all kinds of situations going on in their homes. And I think there's so much of right now because we're forced to do it. Um, whereas mm-hmm. it's not a choice. I mean, in some cases, it's not a choice, right? For some right. people, for some people listening, they have nothing. They had nothing, and this is a boon for them, right? This is like right. I had no studio, and now I have this amazing thing. But for people who had something in person and now have basically been forced to go home and do it on their own, it's very interesting to me to even hear people who used to love practicing at home now do not want to practice at home. They used to love practicing on their own. They used to love it, but now because it's their only option, it is overwhelming and they feel like, I almost wonder if people have put a sense of pressure on themselves. Like you said, I wish I, I, wish I could get the same thing out of it as in person. Somehow we have told ourselves that if we are not, if that it, if that it, is, it is not equal, it is not worth doing. Right. Yeah. I think that, that that's such a good point too. Like, we need in the same way that like you know things are temporary we need to also be comfortable with the idea that like what we're getting out of things changes and that's okay like you can get different things out of things at different times um and sometimes you don't have a choice in that (laughs) right now might be one of those times and that's okay like if you 
I think any any practice is better than nothing as long as it's still something that like brings you joy yeah 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 and I think for so many the the feeling of um loss maybe was so great because you lost everything I mean not just you but like one we lost I mean you lost everything right you lost your coping mechanisms you lost your friends you lost your community you lost your silence your your quiet time in your mind Mm -hmm. you know and everything was lost and taken away at the same time and I think somehow we were all craving for a one size fits all solution to it. And you're like, well, ballet used to be that for me. And this right. is nowhere near that. So I hate this. And this is awful. And this is more <laughs> yes. overwhelming than if I did nothing, because every time I do it, I'm reminded that it's not everything for me. Right. And it's like, I, I don't know, we're, we're all searching for something to use to get through this. Whereas if at any other time, this online thing had popped up in conjunction with your in-person experience, and you didn't right. simultaneously lose that, it wouldn't be such like a traumatic experience to try to dance online right exactly they're like what an awesome tool we would have all perceived this as if it hadn't come during quarantine and it hadn't like been necessitated out of necessitated I don't know how to say that word anyway it hadn't been made necessary (laughs) by a pandemic Um, but it was (laughs) so there's that um but yeah I think that's a really good point that there's like kind of a grieving period with that too like there's there's a really significant change in how we're perceiving like the way that we get to take class and the way that you know um we have to be taking things out of it or not um and I think if we don't honor that grieving period and maybe for some people it, it may not be and it may just be like a really excellent opportunity so this is maybe not something to generalize I don't know but you gotta just kind of sit in that if you're sad about it and feel that and accept it because right. <laughs> like if you just try to push past it which is very much what I did <laughs> for the whole first half of quarantine um you end up avoiding it entirely right like you're like okay well I just won't think about ballet at all ever and I won't stretch and then you know when I finally do try to take a class again I will have lost all of my muscle strength <laughs> I think that's a good point and I think that's very much like this all or nothing idea that if we can't have it all, we don't want any of it because sometimes right. having some of it is too sad because it reminds you of what you don't have. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's not what, where you're going with it, but that's kind of, kind of what I'm seeing too from other people who are like, they, they can't do ballet, but they can do yoga or they can't yeah. do ballet, but they can do something else. Um, because having just a little bit of it is a sad reminder of having a lot of it. Yes. That's very much, I think where I was going. Um, like if you, it, it makes, I think me and a lot of other people almost too uncomfortable and too upset to like enjoy what we can have of it because mm-hmm. it's like a reminder of what we had before, which was so nice and such a like wonderful distraction from life or just such a like, I don't know, such a kind of joyous part of life. Um, and so to, to have little bits and pieces of that, but now like, you know, in your house because you're not allowed to go anywhere else <laughs> it's a little rough yeah so I it's funny I mean I think it's been really fascinating for me to uh, compare the experience that I've had as a dancer not as a studio mm-hmm. owner or anything as a dancer with other people's experience as a dancer and it's funny because for me ballet had already been reassociated with work there was no more ballet is separate from work. I've mm-hmm. learned to do other things to separate myself from work because for me, ballet is work. When I'm in the studio, 
even if I'm dancing for myself, I'm thinking about how I'll teach this concept to someone or like, oh, that's interesting. I bet Cody would benefit from this. Or like, oh, that's, you know, I'm kind of always thinking mm-hmm. about it. Or if I'm in the studio, I'm like, oh, that corner's dirty. Like, let me clean that afterwards. You know, there, there's sure. always been that experience. So for me, going to take class online myself wasn't a big deal. I didn't feel those sensations of loss because I had already lost that three years ago when I opened the studio. <laughs> So it wasn't like a big deal for me to lose that again, because for me, it's like, great, I don't have to drive to the studio to take class. This is great news. So I've been fascinated this whole time and in trying to think about and trying to figure out how to support people through this period of time when the experience is so different for everyone. And it's so, so different what everyone's going through in Mm -hmm. trying to find their way back to what they love and in their own way and on their own time and and what that journey looks like. It's such a different journey for everyone. It is. It is. And I think that, you know, we can go through this process of, of loss kind of and of, of change and eventually come back to it or not. I mean, you know, hopefully everyone who's loved this is, is able to kind of find it again, um, either during this weird period or after. Um, but you know, for those who, who find something else that also works for them, that's, that's also really wonderful. But yeah, it's, it is an odd process. <laughs> and I'd be interested to know what it's, you know, the differences between um, how you processed that three years ago, going from owning a studio, or from dancing to owning a studio, and then how that works when it's a forced thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's for me, when once I started owning the studio, um, I also crave that escape. And for me, the only way to get the escape is to move my body too. Like it's, mm-hmm. um, uh, the mind is noisy. It's very loud up there. It, it just never quiets down, right? You, we, right. we talked about this before that we share this thought that the mind is just like always going. It's always going. I'm sure everyone experienced this to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I just started meditating last week for the first time and the thought of sitting still for 10 minutes doing nothing and trying to quiet my brain. It's just like, no, I mean, rather do yoga. I'd rather do pushups than this. I mean, this is terrible, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but for me that what would end, what shut, what did shut my brain off was actually teaching. Dancing yeah. no longer did it for me because dancing was work in and of, in, in a sense. Um, and my mind could, it wasn't all consuming enough for my mind to stop wandering. But when I'm teaching, I'm like really focused on the dancers and what they're doing and what they're, how they're feeling and, and how the experience is going for them. So for me, teaching right. was that shut off. And for me, that was no different on Zoom because you have to be extremely focused on them. You have to be putting energy out there. You're still like, you're still doing those things. For me, mm-hmm. I didn't feel much of a difference. Um, but I had already had a unique experience with Zoom where I already had Zoom relationships with my family and friends. I've been remote from my family for 13 years. Right. So I'm used to having friendly relations. And I, my best friend, Julie, also named Julie, um, she and I have had a Zoom relationship for three years. So right. we chat every morning on Zoom for half an hour and we have fun and we chat about business, we chat about life. And so I'm used to having online relationships, online relationships with people. And so that, I don't have one thing, like you said, like for you, you have one thing that you associate with Zoom and that is stress and chaos and judgment and work <laughs> <Yeah>. and... <laughs> all of that. And for me, I'm like, no, Zoom could mean I'm hanging out. Zoom could mean I'm calling right. my mom. Zoom could mean I'm calling my best friend. Zoom could mean I'm teaching. Zoom could mean I'm taking class. Like I already had multiple things to associate with it. So it wasn't yeah. that weird. Different Interesting. Experience. Yeah, that's really cool. 
I think that there's a, a way to reassociate like positive things with even tools that we've only ever used for work. But it just yeah. I think takes time and practice. I'm not totally there yet, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but um it I think it's possible. I think it's possible too. I think though if we can learn how to do ballet, we can learn anything. That is my <laughs> yes opinion on the topic. <laughs> um but for me like I use um I always work out myself with the Peloton app um, and do like home workouts with the Peloton instructors and yoga with them. And it's all just pre-recorded and I can pause whenever I want and yeah. take my own time with it, which I, I do find personally helps me with taking the time for myself. Cause I know I can stop it at any point. And if I, something changes and I need to get up, I can do it. Um, that's helpful for me. But I think, I don't know. I think as like back to your point on the expectation of it, I think is super important because mm-hmm. I mean, as dancers, we're such perfectionists. And if you're expecting a perfect experience anywhere, you're going to be disappointed, right? And then you have that level of disappointment that you're dealing with over and over again. And that disappointment is just too sad, right? So the expectation is like, cool, I get to supplement at home. Or like, cool, I get to work on something I'm curious about at home and not like, cool, this will be my friend. This will be my, um, like, you know, it's because those things aren't what's happening. And that's not what should be expected to happen because it's a different experience. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's a rough transition in a lot of cases, but it is about managing expectations. It's not going to be the same. Um, it it can't be. And right. It, right. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be. That's right. the point is that it's something different. It's not going to be your in-studio ballet classes. It's, it's right. going to be a, another tool right. um, in addition to or instead of that. Um, mostly instead of that currently. <laughs> right. um, hopefully not, but, not forever, hopefully. <laughs> right, not forever, but um, but it's, it's you know, something that we get to process and, and kind of transition through. We get to take new and different things out of, um, out of these Zoom classes and, and online courses in general. I think it's, it's cool. It's a, it's a different opportunity. Yeah, it's a, uh not it's not easy it's not easy and I think um we can like you said honor the difficulty of it right so don't expect like our expectation shouldn't be that it's going to be an easy change or an easy transition and for some people maybe it is and for some people like me we've already gone through these kinds of things to set us up for this being an easy transition that doesn't mean it's easy because it was easy it just means that we've been preparing for this for our whole life (laughs) you were ready I was ready. I was ready for it. Not, not knowingly or not on purpose, but I was ready for no, it. It wasn't no, that big of a deal, right? Exactly. But for those for, for whom it, it's a big deal, it's worth noting that it's a big deal. It's worth noting that it's a shift and that there is a, a strange amount of sadness in having half of something that you can't have. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, that's an important part of it. And if we don't like just kind of sit with that and acknowledge it and honor it, then we're actually going to get way, way less out of this <laughs> than we would have to start with. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, what um, the Winnie the Pooh quote, he says, how lucky am I to have something that I'm so sad to have lost? Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very tough. sweet. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Cody, do you have any words of wisdom imparting imparting words of wisdom that you want to share or any last points you want to make here about ballet or quarantine or or life or even a few points that you want to make Hmm. um let's see I think just coming back to like you know the the temporary nature of things 
right? Like, a, we all, it, it's important for us to like appreciate what we have while we have it, whether that's in studio classes or online classes now, and hopefully the online classes, especially for those who have really, really benefited from it during this time, hopefully that continues to be a thing even after this is over, because I know that that's been wonderful for people. Um, or, you know, whether it's our health or whatever, whatever enables us to like have these like really wonderful, happy, beneficial things in our lives. Like we need to, I think just kind of acknowledge them and, and be happy to have them because so much of that is temporary. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's, you know, also <laughs> because it's temporary, it's permanently gone when it's gone. <laughs> like that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. <laughs> um, because oftentimes these are things that we get to come back to and that's, I'm living that right now. Like that's something I'm so excited about getting back in the studio. Um, but just having gratitude for what we have while we have it yeah. is huge. I think this quarantine, I've realized that I used to always use the phrase, this too shall pass only for negative things. Um, if I'm having a hard time or struggling, I tell myself this too shall pass and it helps me find perspective. But I mm -hmm. forgot about the good parts. I forgot to tell myself during the good parts that this too shall pass and that will help us be more grateful for the, for when we have it, right? Where right. all of it will pass and the, the good things and the bad things and that's good news and bad news. But for, you know, we're, what we have is special and when it's special, it's worth, like you've been saying, honoring it, honor what's special and tell people that it's special and enjoy it while you have it. And really really try to hold on to it right and you know also hope that not hope but you know know that also like the loss of that isn't forever either which is mm -hmm. wonderful right. yep nothing permanent yep good cool stuff i think <laughs> and it's it's been a good learning opportunity um as somebody who likes to like brute force things into existence <laughs> it's been a, <laughs> a good learning opportunity well that explains the pirouette hmm yes <laughs> Just push, just push harder it'll happen i will make this pirouette happen i absolutely will not ever <laughs> right unfortunately the, the pirouettes and life they can feel when you're trying to brute force it yes <laughs> same thing with going to sleep yes exactly well i'm glad you're back in the studio that's so exciting and i hope that that starts to give you some peace in your mind um mm -hmm. and some of that uh joy back into into your life with with dancing because that's just a huge part of why we love this whole thing. Exactly. And I think too that it'll help me start to reassociate that happiness with potentially taking online classes too. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be able to conflate those two things again instead of just having it be like, oh, I'm on Zoom, I'm at work. Great. Right. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's definitely something that I'm hopeful for. Maybe it'll be like, I'm on Zoom, I'm practicing for class next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not like I'm on Zoom. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you so much, Cody. This was such a fun and insightful conversation. I'm you've you've done a lot of self-reflection that I know will help many of our listeners with things that maybe they couldn't put into words about what they're experiencing, about why they are having trouble taking advantage of what should seem like a great opportunity, but doesn't always feel like that and feels really, really painful sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I hope that this is um, that this resonates with somebody else. If not, that's okay. <laughs> but um, it was good to talk it out in any case. This has been really nice. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Julie. I'm glad to have gotten to be part of this. So fun. 
Thanks for listening today, dancers. For more adult ballet, you can follow our studio on Instagram and Facebook at Broche Ballet. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie the Ballerina or check out our blog and YouTube channels for more content. You can even dance with us in our online studio with daily live Zoom classes, private lessons, and our on-demand video library. I'm Julie Gill, and this was Broche Banter. Happy dancing!